Microphone check, one, two, what is this? You're now listening to a brand new episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Look what you done started. Talk to him. Attorney, high-performance coach, and speaker Cherie Prince asks hard questions to really get to the bottom of what makes entrepreneurs tick. From starting a business, marketing, strategies, and the ins and outs of their industries. We talk everything from book recommendations, lifestyle hacks, and everything possible to get you inspired and motivated to build your own business. The Play Big Faster podcast starts now. Let's go. Welcome to another edition of the Play Big Faster podcast. We are joined today by Daryl Lynch from Oppenheimer and Company. How are you doing today, Daryl? I'm doing really well. I'm glad to be here. Okay. So the Lynch Group, you have been working with Oppenheimer um, as the Lynch Group for how long now? A little bit over 35 years at Oppenheimer and the Lynch Group's been together now for about 25. And currently you hold the position of Managing Director of Investments, correct? That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Now, those are big words from, from folks like me. So if you can just kind of tell me, what does that actually mean? What do you do there? Well, I help clients with their investments. And a lot of the clients I work with are actually um, guardians, trustees, and conservators. And those people hire us to manage their investments as a fiduciary. So our responsibility is is really layered in terms of making sure we preserve their principal and they make sure they have safe investments. A lot of our accounts that we have actually are court supervised. When someone has been say adjudicated, which means the court has appointed someone else to take care of their assets, that person who's appointed to take care of their assets will hire us to make sure those assets are shepherded and taken care of well. And that's mainly our focus. Nadara, that's an important responsibility. And I know that you've been with this company for a long time, but can anybody off the street just walk in and be a fiduciary? What sort of training do you have to have for this type of work? Well, first of all, you have to have a background check. And then you have to sit through hours and hours and hours of continuing education and take tests and pass those tests. And every year you have to go back and get more continuing education to pass those tests. And what these tests go into and the courses go into, they talk about what is the fiduciary and what are your responsibilities as a fiduciary? As a fiduciary, you're obligated to put your client's needs before you. And so it's most important that when you're investing clients' money that you don't look at what's best for the Lynch Group or Daryl Lynch or myself. I have to look at what's best for the client and I'm obligated to do that. And that's the main duty of a fiduciary is to take care of the person's assets and put their priorities above our own. In your position, I noticed um, when we were talking before, you have some alphabet soup behind your name. So I'm seeing AIF. Could you tell me what AIF um, stands for? Accredited Investment Fiduciary. And that's another thing that I have to pass. I have to make sure I update that every single year, have to pass a big old long test for hours and hours to pass that and make sure that I keep my credentials up to date. And that's another thing that's important. And it's a refresher every year just to make sure you are putting your clients' needs first. And that's what that accredited investment investment fiduciary responsibilities are. 
Now, and I know we talked, you know, we've kind of jumped into what you do, what you actually do now, but how did you start this journey um, to working, you know, in this capacity? Did you always know that this was the path that you wanted to take? No, I didn't. I um, started off as kind of make a little short story here. I had a client who worked for Microsoft and he had a semi-large, he had a large account, he had a few million dollars. And all of a sudden he started um, changing. He started, his mental capacity started to be diminished and he was doing some things that were just crazy. And eventually his parents got involved and his family got involved, took, went to court and he was adjudicated to where a fiduciary and a um, guardian was appointed to take over his assets. And I thought, oh no, this is about 25 years ago. I thought, oh, this guy who's a guardian is going to take over the money and I'm going to lose his large account. But I went out, I sat with the guardian and showed him what we do, showed him our processes and our procedures and all the safeguards we had. And that guardian said, this is exactly what we need. Because as a guardian, we have a responsibility. If we don't have substantial investment experience, we are obligated and mandatory that we hire somebody who does. So that guardian hired me to make sure we manage the portfolio for that client and then at the same time got me involved with other guardians and said, hey, you know, you should take a look at this person. You should take a look at this person who's a guardianship agency. So I got involved with them. That person took me under their arm and I joined like the National Guardianship Association and then some special needs trust associations and went through all their meetings and started being a speaker at those. And um, the next thing I know, this is the focus of my business, probably about 75% of my business in our Lynch group is working with guardians, trustees, and conservators. And the rest, we work with individual clients who just happen to need help. Wow. And so I heard you say a couple of things. Um, it looks like, so if I were someone who needed a special needs trust and needed your services, that's something you could help me with as well, correct? Um, I would. Um, but if you need a special needs trust, then you have to go to an estate attorney or a probate attorney or, or an elder law attorney. And then that elder law attorney would set that trust up for you and hire us to manage the money. Okay. Oh, that is awesome. Now, I know that there are different things that you deal with. Could you maybe kind of go into some things that we could avoid in terms of working with someone like you? in terms of what may be inappropriate assets, tell us what those are. Yeah, well, I work a lot with the guardians and trustees and I put together a list of seven things to avoid for them, but these things also apply to individual investors. We work a lot with individual investors who have assets and they just need some help and want us to do that. And we're kind of on the conservative, uh, moderate areas. So we're tr not trying to go out there and knock the lights off and trying to double your money every year. We're trying to make sure that we manage it properly and it grows. One of the things I think is important, I tell people not to get too high of expectations on your money and you don't want to take a lot of risk if you're looking to invest that money over a long period of time, but you do want to take some. And I always notice there's a, there's a rule. Plan on for planning purposes and how much money you need for retirement, which people always want to know. I usually assume for purposes of planning a 5% return on your investments. And then if you're taking money out, a 4% distribution. So that means for every million dollars you have, that's going to provide you with $40,000 of lifetime income infinitum and allow it to grow. It's probably going to do better than 5%, but you should... In terms of planning, 
plan on 4% distribution, 5% rate of return. And that is a good conservative way to start. Some of the things, the most important thing when you're looking at investments is what time frame are you looking at? Am I going to have this money in this portfolio or in this pot that I'm saying for three years? Or is it going to be for 15 years? Okay. And if you're going to have this, if you have money and you're considering investing, if you're going to need that money, it's like buying a house or buying a car or some expenses, for probably um, in two and a half or three years less, you probably should not be investing in the stock market or equity market. So just that's important because you want to make sure you have time to let this thing have the ups and downs over, over time. Okay, because the market doesn't go straight up or straight down. But if you're going to need that money in three years or two and a half or one year, you shouldn't be in the market because you can lose your assets. Okay. Now, things to avoid. Inappropriate assets. We're going to talk about that. What should I be buying? You know, stocks, bonds, annuities. We're going to talk about what are inappropriate assets to have in your portfolio if you're saving long term and you're looking at moderate or aggressive. Okay. Um, then we're going to talk about mutual funds. What are mutual funds and how do they work? We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about proprietary investments. And proprietary investments are things like um, my company, if we cook something up in our little kitchen or back in the back about some products and we sell that to you. Okay. Those are things that a company or if a financial company puts their name on it and they cooked it up and made it and they sell it to you, those are proprietary investments. We're going to talk about that. Overconcentration, too much of a good thing or too much of a bad thing, things avoid. Then we're going to talk about alternative investments that aren't stocks or bonds or mutual funds. These are things like limited partnerships, cryptocurrency. Then we're going to talk about the difference between fees and commissions. What are they? And most importantly, we're going to discuss conflicts of interest. And those come in and those are those are bad. Now. For inappropriate assets, if you're an investor right now and you don't have the time or the inclination to charge stocks and stay up on it and get to get up in the morning and see what happens to the stock market and do all the research, you probably shouldn't be in individual stocks. And most of my clients are not in individual stocks. They're in mutual funds. And what is a mutual fund? A mutual fund is a portfolio of stocks or bonds or whatever where investors pool their money and a portfolio manager manages that, okay? And you just have shares in his fund and it's more diversified, okay? You don't, you're not taking as much risk as buying an individual stock because this is a well-diversified portfolio and you take less risk. The reason why I say stocks, unless you have time to really play with them, a stock can easily lose 50% of its value. Wow. Yeah, okay. it's, it's not uncommon. Mutual funds don't, unless it's some kind of risky mutual funds. And think, if you lose 50% of the value of your stock, what kind of return do you need on that money the following year? Think about it. You need a 100% return. And how often does that happen? Okay. Not very, because if you have a dollar and it goes down to 50 cents, now you have 50 cents in capital money to get back to a dollar. You're going to need that 50 cents to double. And that's a hundred percent return. 
So that's why I say, unless you have time to really, really research those things, um, I would I would avoid um, individual stocks, no matter how good they are. Company risks all remember Enron. We remember um, First Republic Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, all these things. They lost 100 percent of their value or more. Another thing in the inappropriate assets, annuities. Now, annuities are sold by insurance companies and they have high commissions on them, sometimes as high as 5%. They're very illiquid. That means if you want to get out of it, you probably have to pay a big surrender charge and it locks your money up for a long period of time. And usually the only person or the only individual that benefits from an annuity is the person who sold it to you because they made a lot of money most likely okay and you these things will lock your assets up and i just think they're it's something to avoid people can buy annuities but it's a small set subset of a subset of people who should because of the high fees on them all right so if you have annuities buyer beware well and and, and one question i do have so the subset of people that should or could buy annuities what does that subsection look like? Because we do have some high net worth individuals who listen to the podcast. Like, is it based on net worth? Is it based on circumstance? What are your recommendations? It's based on a lot of age and circumstance. That subset, that small subset of people who have annuities are people who are probably um, in their 50s, um, late 40s, and getting toward their late, late 50s, maybe early 60s, okay? Because you need time to let it grow. And it has usually has surrender charges on it for maybe seven years. But what the annuity does, it does give you some guarantees. And what are called deferred annuities, say you put $100,000 in it, it grows to $200,000. And either it has a guaranteed fixed rate return over that time, or they give you some guaranteed payout options where they can provide you with a lifetime income. It's almost like buying a pension plan where you put money in it, it's expensive but it does have guarantees on the other side. The other part of annuity, if you just take $100,000, plunk into it, and then they just guarantee a stream of income for you for the rest of your life, $100,000 gone. And that stream of income will last you the rest of your life. And when you die, it's gone, or maybe your beneficiary gets a part of it. So it's usually used as a way to supplement your retirement income. And if you have an annuity, or if it's a portion of your portfolio, you only want to have it as a small portion, maybe 20%. Okay, this is not something you lock all your money up into because it is locked up. All right. Does that answer your question? Oh, definitely. Thank you. Okay. Now we're going to talk about mutual funds. We talked about them earlier. They're a pool, assets, money manager runs it. Okay. There are different classes of mutual funds. Asset, they're just asset classes there's different classes a b and c um shares and i shares now when you're sounds like it's alphabet soup but a shares are the ones who traditionally have been out for a long long time and they charge you an upfront fee to put money in it so if you put ten thousand dollars in that a share mutual fund five hundred dollars goes to the guy who sold it to you okay 5% 5% load. And they have internal fees that are relatively high, so they, they're they probably not the best thing to buy. And I usually don't recommend those, okay? Upfront fees, 
A shares. B shares, they may not have an upfront fee, but they'll have a back-end fee. So if you want to redeem in the next five years, they may charge you 1% or 2% surrender charge to get out of them. These shares have been kind of phased out because B means bad. They sh you shouldn't own them, okay? <laughs> and it was kind of another scourge that the industry brought out about, oh, I'd say about 20 years ago, and now they're kind of phased out. C shares. C shares were the alternative for investment companies to um, sell to the public because they called them kind of no upfront load, but they didn't have an upfront load, but they had a 1% internal, maybe a 2% internal management fee every single year and a back-end load. And they were very expensive and those are being phased out, okay? What you should look for are what are called iShares. When you look at a mutual fund, ask the person, is this an iShare, which means institutional? It has no upfront load, no back-end load, and the internal management fees in there are low, and that's called expense ratio, internal management fees, expense ratios. And this is the key. Think about this. Some of these money managers out there who think they've got some kind of whiz-bang, you know, special secret formula for managing money, they have internal fees. You give them $100, they'll charge you every single year $1.50 to $2 internal management fees every year. Their internal management fees for every $100 is maybe $1.5 to $2 or $2.5. Okay, and they're out there trying to buy and trade and try and trade to beat what's called the index. And the index is just, say, the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones Index. It's an index fund that just buys the index. No manager trying to pick anything, trying to outsmart it. But that index manager who's just buying those static shares or, um, of the index, he may charge you $0.05 cents per $100. So you have an index fund for every $100 is charging you $0.05 cent per 100 And you have this money manager out there who's charging you $1.50 to $2.50 a hundred. And guess what? That index fund manager has a 90% chance of beating all those guys out there who think they have some kind of secret formula. 90% of all money managers in these active funds who are trying to pick and trade and all this and charge all this money, 90% of those underperform and don't beat the index that they're working with. Okay, so I always recommend index funds. It's called iShares, all right? It's really, really important. I think that's a good way to go. No load funds, iShares. So we just talked about mutual funds, inappropriate asset classes, okay? Next thing we're going to talk about is proprietary investments. And we talked about that a little bit earlier, where these are investments that say, let's just call, I won't say XYZ Financial Company sells the XYZ Mutual Fund. Or the XYZ Financial Company sells the XYZ annuity, or the XYZ um, company is offering you banking services or offering you checking services, mortgages and loans, insurance. It's called cross-selling. Our industry is very, very good at hiding fees, and this is the way they do it, by having these proprietary products where they have hidden fees. And also, these proprietary products can be a conflict of interest. We'll talk about a little bit more later because 
the company will give the financial advisor or the person who's selling them an extra incentive to sell these. So when the advisor is looking at two mutual funds, they're both very good, but the proprietary fund, the that fund, since it's from their company, may offer you a little bit extra commission or fees for selling those. And you just have to beware. And these things are kind of the scourge of our industry. So you don't want to be working with a company that is selling you all their products. We don't sell any proprietary products whatsoever here at Oppenheimer. It's all open. You know, we take a look at Vanguard, Fidelity. We can look at anything. So it's important to do that. And if you look at your statements, how can you tell? Look at your statements, look under holdings. And if you see all the same things under the, that's the header of the statement in your holdings picture, you may have a problem. Okay. So I, so if I were talking to a financial advisor and they were trying to sell me some of these proprietary investments, what are some of the questions that I can ask so that I'm more informed about my options? Well, tell them, are there other options besides these XYZ funds? Is there any, do you offer other things besides this XYZ fund, which is your company XYZ fund? Okay. Or can I do those? That would be the main thing. Are there other options besides these funds that we can take a look at and consider? Next, over concentration. I love chocolate cake, but I don't eat chocolate cake for every meal that I have all day long. Okay. Concentration of assets would say, well, I'm going to put everything in this one mutual fund, everything in this one stock. It involves risk. Concentration involves risk. And risk can be good on the upside if you have your that particular stock or fund or whatever goes up 50% and you have all your money in it, it's great. But on the downside, losing 50% isn't fun. So over-concentration in any one particular asset or any one particular investment is not good, all right? Because it's, it's fun on the upside, you don't want it on the downside, two-edged sword. And we talked about that 50% loss situation. You don't want to do it. Now, talk about an investment in concentration. Someone says, ah, oh, you know, I'm afraid of investing in the equity markets. I'm going to put all of my money in CDs. Well, if I came to you as a portfolio manager or a money manager and I said, Mr. Jones, hire me to manage your money. And over the next 10 years, I will guarantee that I will lose you two to 3% of your money every single year for the next 10 years. Would you hire that person? No, never. <laughs> Absolutely not. But that's what happens if you lock all of your money up in CDs, because you may get a CD yielding 5%, but inflation, the silent thief is running higher than 5%, maybe eight, maybe seven. So 10 years from now, that tube of toothpaste or whatever you bought for $10, that $10 won't buy the same goods and services 10 years from now because the inflation has taken over and you lost your buying power. So that's why I never recommend you lock all your money up long-term in CDs. CDs have their place. If you're gonna put money in CDs, probably three or four years, kind of max, and only for the money you're gonna need. We talked about whether you should invest or you shouldn't invest, now, if you're in the in the equity markets or stock markets or bond market, if you're going to need that money in two or three years, CDs is a great place. And you ladder them. Say so you have six months. 
maturity, then say have um, nine months maturity, one year maturity, 18 months and two year maturities in latter equal amounts in those areas, that's a good way to go for that period of time. But you never want to put all of your money in CDs. It's just not a good thing to do. Inflation risk is just not good. Now, that's concentration in CDs or fixed income investments. Concentration in growth. Everybody says, well, I put all my money in Microsoft or Facebook or Meta or, or anything like that, or oil stocks. You don't want to do that either because that also will provide you one of the things we talked about earlier, good way to lose money and not come back. If your account is down 50%, you're, you're, you're screwed. Is this, it's gonna, you're not going to be able to make that up any time. And if you do, you're probably taking too much risk. So just don't do it to begin with. People call, well, all tech stocks. Now, if you can afford to, put a little in there, but not all. Over concentration. Now, here's one of my pet peeves. Limited partnerships and alternative investments. These kind of remind me, these are, first of all, they're just, they're awful and they have high fees in them. And it reminds me of like some kind of disease in our industry or a crazy boyfriend or girlfriend in college. You know, it just won't go away. Um, they have high fees, very illiquid. A lot of times you'll buy these things and they last forever. You can't get out of them. Or if you try and get out of them, you have to try and sell them back to the general partner who made it and they don't want to do it. They have high internal fees. Internal fees, we talked about, um, you know, $1.50 to $2 per hundred. These can be up to four, $4 for each $100 you put in and have an 8% upfront charge on it. And sometimes they take 20% of the profits in this thing. So it, it starts off and then it gets worse. Okay. These things can be black box. Oh, so it gets worse than 20% of the profit. That's, that's kind of terrible. Yeah, well, that's why I hate these things, these alternative investments and limited partnerships. They're a black box. That means that you don't know what they're investing in until maybe six months later because they like to keep everything closed and you don't know that they were buying something that you didn't want to be involved with till six months later when they give you a report and you can't get out of them. Another thing they provide, um, they, don't, they report taxes from the investment and with a K-1 form. And this K-1 form comes out usually in October. So when you're trying to file your taxes in, in April, you can't, can't complete it because you haven't got a report from this K-1 and you get it in October. So your taxes are always late. So you look at this thing and you can't terminate them, can't re-register them because they probably don't know who to talk to. And every, April, when your taxes are due, you, you're waiting for your K-1s, and it just reminds you of a really bad decision that you made a long time ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago. So it's just, it's just crazy. So stay away from these things, okay? Alternative investments, limited partnerships. All right. Now, we've talked about fees, commissions. What's the difference? Fees. Let's talk about commissions first. Commissions is you, you have a portfolio of stocks or mutual funds and commissions is every time you buy or sell something, 
they charge you. So for every transaction, there is a charge on that transaction, and that's called a commission. It may be variable, may be up or down. It can create conflicts of interest because say the advisor calls you up and says, hey, Mr. Jones, I think we should buy XYZ mutual fund. I think we should sell XYZ mutual fund. And there's a ching, 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 a commission charge every time. You don't know whether that person is calling you up because this is a great time to buy and this is a great investment or are you selling it because it's, it's going to head down. You don't know whether that person is calling you up for that or because that, that investment advisor's mortgage is due. Okay, you don't know that when it comes to commissions and these counts can be a very big conflict of interest. Could be charging you a lot of transactions, a lot of commissions and your account's not going up or down. That is what's called churning. And everybody's afraid to have and the fear of having their account churned by an investment advisor where the investment advisor is making a lot of money, a lot of activity. And every time they buy and sell something, there's a charge but the client's money isn't going up. Okay, to this point, what are some questions that I can ask my investment advisor to make sure that they're actually looking out for my best interest and not churning? Well, ask them, is this a fee-based account or is a commission account? And what I mean by a fee-based account, say you have $100,000 and there's a 1% management fee that goes to the advisor. That means for every $100,000, the advisor is gonna be paid $1,000 out of your account, okay? This is a better way to manage the money because you don't have conflicts of interest where, you know, the advisor is having transactions in the account, trying to generate commissions on a fee. And most managed, most people have their account managed on a fee basis where they charge um, a fee to the, their pay a, a manager a fee to manage the account, the advisor. Now, the standard, the gold standard for that fee to pay the advisor to manage the account is 1% or less. So for every 100,000, the advisor gets um, $1,000, okay? We charge um, 0.8 to a half a percent. That's typically in a fiduciary area, we're charging less than 1%, but you should be charged 1% or less. I've seen it accounts being managed at 1% to 3% fees. So if the advisor says um, it's charging you to manage the account, um, one and a half percent, ask them to lower it. If they won't lower it, go someplace else. If they say they can't lower it, they're not telling you the truth. They don't want to. But 1% or less is the gold standard. And typically on, on our accounts with our clients, anything under 100,000, we do pro bono to help people out because we feel that the smaller accounts, people, it's even more important that you help them out. In the fiduciary area, we do that, and we try and make sure that we encourage other advisors to do that. Anything under 100, we do on a pro bono basis. And so it seems like this is a conversation you should have at the inception of your relationship. Not Okay, yeah, because at, at, by this point, my advisor's calling me saying, hey, you know, I think we need to do a few more trades. Well, it seems like you, you need to have this conversation first in terms of compensation. Um, and what is that responsibility? If I come into your office and I say, hey, I'm looking to develop a relationship with you as my financial advisor, um, do you not have a duty to explain this to me? Absolutely, I do. And it's so important to know how the person is paid because 
that that shows you where they're coming from and what their incentives are. If, for example, if your account is um, $100,000 and the advisor is getting $1,000, that advisor wants your account to go to 200000 because they get a pay raise. You know, they go, wow, yeah, I'm trying to get this account from 100 to 200. I just got a pay raise. They don't want your account to go from $100,000 to $50,000 on a managed account where they're charging 1% because they got a haircut. But if the if the advisors charge you commissions, they don't care whether your account's 100,000 or 150,000 or 150 because they're just getting paid on the transactions involved. So that you're right, that isn't it. Um, uh, something you should talk to your advisor and have a conversation with your advisor at the outset of the relationship. Okay. And our, like I said, our, and ask, are there any other fees beside the commission or beside the management fee? Like I said, this, our industry is very good at hiding these things. Okay. Okay. Now we talked about conflicts of interest. This is something that everybody has their bias. Market's too high. There's a virus, um, elections, interest rates. There's a war, politics. Um, all these things come into play. And you have to realize that these things will affect your portfolio if you let them. And the major, these personal biases are, are something that it, it's hard to get over them. But if you have a strategy, and you say, you know, well, I want my portfolio to be 60% equity, 40% bonds. I'm going to stick with it and stay diversified in it and let it alone. And don't say, well, oh, the market's down. I'm going to get out. The market's going up. Oh, maybe I should sell. If your time horizon is longer than three years, you can wait these things out. And the only thing you have to make a decision is, is how much you're going to have in the equity markets. And I usually, we talk about models. And think about this, 100% fixed income or cash, then have a model where it's, say, 30% equities and 70%, um, what's it? yeah, 70% bonds. So you have a very conservative portfolio. We have 70% in fixed income or cash, 30% equity, or you can have a portfolio, say, it's 50-50, or you can have a portfolio, say, 60%, equities, 40% bonds. And that's a traditional area where people say a balanced growth, where you're going to let it sit forever. And you're not taking money out of it. Okay. So that's determines the risk. And we talked about risk, time frame, personal bias, conflict of interest, commissions, conflict of interest, proprietary investments, conflict of interest, self-dealing, conflict of interest. If the advisor is trying to sell you something that they own, personally, or the company owns personally, that's a conflict of interest. And you shouldn't be involved in something like that. And if someone tries to do that, you want to run. But I remember everybody always says, what's the best investment? What's the best investment? What should I put? If I could go back in my career, in my life, and all the times in the beginning where I thought I was smarter than the market and tried to out-trick it, if I had just left everything I put in my investment in the S&P 500 index fund, I probably wouldn't be talking to you now. I'd be someplace with my, on the beach with my toes in the sand and a drink in my hand someplace. So I, I usually tell people, you know, if you're young and you're trying to invest, the best place 
to put it, you're not going to need it for three years. Just put in the S&P 500 fund and leave it alone. Okay? Leave it alone. So those are some things that, you know, that I found over the years that, that work for my clients. And it's been very beneficial. So I want to make sure I think we tried to take a look at um, about a half an hour there. And I want to see if, you know, Cherie, did you have any questions? Well, Daryl, let me be the first to say I'm glad that you do not let your stuff sit in the S&P because you wouldn't be here with us today. This is really good information. So, so glad you, um, you know, had those hiccups. And we're able to learn from, from, you know, from some of those hiccups from you. No, I thank you so much for your time. These, this is some really good information because a lot of times people have an urge to invest or to do some things, some smart things with their money. And these are just things that people normally don't consider if they are not dealing with this every day. So we've heard a lot of stuff, but I have not heard how to contact you if someone is interested in asking you more questions or working with you. Um, hopefully you can put our contact information up there. You know, it's, we'll, we'll include it in the description. Include it in the description. Give us an email or call. We have a good staff and our staff is really user friendly. They, they, they help people, um, whoever needs help. We, like I said, we, we don't mind working with, um, someone just to give them some information to follow up. And if we can help, we'll definitely point you in the right direction. That's important. So, you know, we work with a lot of people in the fiduciary area and also in the individual area. And some of these things I think about, um, I learned over the years of making mistakes in the beginning. I learned what works and what doesn't work. And a lot of times um, financial advisors will tell you, ah, oh, come work with me because I've got this special formula. I know what I'm doing. I got this thing and I'm smart in the market. They're not. Most people are not smarter than the market. And if they're if they are, they're fooling themselves and fooling you. The market, at least in the United States, and the S&P 500, very, very efficient. It's hard to beat the S&P on a regular basis consistently because over the advent of technology, people were trading stocks on a nanosecond. And it's there's thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars changing millions of dollars changing hands on a second. And it's made the market very efficient. If there's some knowledge out there that people say, well, I have some knowledge about this. You aren't the first person to hear it. And the person who knows that knowledge earlier has already got all the goody and fat out of the profits is going to make before you hear it. Okay. So we're, we're happy to help. Um, yeah. Daryl.Lynch at OPCO.com. And we're happy to help. And so also for everyone who is listening or watching the podcast, Daryl has left us some goodies. He actually did some slides for us. And I'm going to make sure that we add those in the description as well. That really outline the things he spoke to us about today. Daryl, thank you so much for your time. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you so much. And this has been another edition of the Play Big Faster podcast. Until later, play big faster. Do you want to start your own business? Confused about where to begin? Not sure if you can do this? I'm glad you made your way here. Cut through the confusion. I invite you to join in on the five-day Play Big Faster Challenge. You'll get step-by-step -step guidance on how to start and scale your dream business faster. Five days perfectly structured. Build the business you've always dreamed of without spending tons of money and hiring consultants or a lot of staff. Join the challenge today at www.playbigfaster.com.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Want more entrepreneurial content? I like this. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes. Already subscribed. I just clicked on it. Don't forget to like and leave a review. Share with a friend that needs this in their life. I think you need this more than I. Oh, and make sure to follow Cherie on IG at Cherie Speaks. And remember to play big faster.